The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by FIRST. FIRST knows that a real estate professional's most valuable asset is their relationships. A strong personal network is the moat that can guard against any industry disruption. But there is never enough time to nurture your network the way you want to. FIRST powers top agents with artificial intelligence to spotlight the people who are most likely to sell. This brings focus and attention to make important connections when it matters most. Learn more and request a free demo at first.io. It was in July of 2009. Um, somebody asked me what I thought the future real estate office looked like, and I literally described a virtual world where agents and staff went to work every day. And and I, I literally didn't know that was what I was going to say, uh, but that's what I described. And for me, that was the light bulb that sort of went off. It's like, why don't we try to find a virtual world and let's see if we can't do that because we wanted to build someplace where we could be working together real time at any time people would be able to drop in just like they could do in a physical office. And, uh, and that was the, that was the point in time where we knew we had something um, that, that might work. Welcome to the real estate sessions podcast where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 152 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow. Uh, and of course, as I say every week, I love it if you head on over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because that helps us grow too. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited about today's guest. It's, uh, you know, I'm just a few days removed from Inman Connect in San Francisco, actually the final Inman Connect in San Francisco as they're moving down to Vegas uh, next summer. And, and I ran into somebody at the uh, 10-year reunion of the bar camp who I believe the first time I met this guest was at a bar camp. It might have been a bar camp in Phoenix, possibly. But uh, so I'm really excited to talk to the founder and CEO of EXP Realties, Glenn Sanford. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Bill. Yeah, it's been uh, it has been a quite a few years back from the say, I think it was the uh, baseball stadium, if I'm not mistaken, there in Phoenix. You're right, Scottsdale Stadium, where the Giants played. So you were you did attend those bar camps, maybe maybe a maybe a party beforehand or two. Is that true? Uh, yeah, well, actually, I think with that day, we actually did the, um, we, we created the, the Phoenix After Bar, uh, which was <laughs> over at Salty Senoritas. Um, and so, so Buyer Tours Realty, which was my previous brokerage, we actually sponsored that, uh, that event back then. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was, that was, uh, we were doing a lot of fun stuff back then. In fact, my first guest on the podcast was Jay Thompson and Jay was a big part of those bar camps, uh, back in the day. Oh, huge. Yeah. yeah. So t- tell me, um, tell me what you thought about Bar Camp, the 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 ten year reunion. That was very interesting in San Francisco. I did not attend the original, but it was neat seeing those people get together. Right. It was. Yeah. I, I you know I, I I attended the 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 not the first one, but the second one in in San Francisco, and and I've attended you know a bunch of uh, the real estate bar camps um, since then. Uh, all over the country, quite frankly, because I just love the, the the concept and 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 and. But it was what it was what it really kind of struck me at this particular one was these people I built relationships with, and th- these are some of the you know the most insightful people in and around the residential real estate space. You know, you you had. Uh, Gaylord there with uh, with his uh, and I didn't get to play with it, uh, but his uh, 
He's now doing this music thing where he takes uh, audio and sort of re re uh, takes people's voices and their, their introspective thoughts and builds into some sort of uh, word jazz-y kind of uh, right. uh, impactful deal. And, and uh, so I missed out on that. But you've got all these really kind of cool ideas. In fact, you know, not to sort of continue down this path, but uh, the first time I ever mentioned the concept that became EXP Realty in a setting outside of our core group was actually at the RE Bar Camp back in uh, in 2009, and uh, actually bounced it off of Rob Hahn, um, and then and then some other folks that we went uh, and had dinner with uh, that evening. Um, and so this is a pretty pretty near and dear group to 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 the way that I sort of look at the world. Um, so really enjoyed wow. it, and and that group was just it was just amazing. It was a small group, intimate, and it wasn't wasn't huge. It wasn't well, you know, it wasn't pushed out as a big industry event. But the people that were there, great, great conversations. Right, I agree. It was uh, it was an honor to 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 be able to attend and and uh, see what that what that core group is still doing today. So 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 we you know we just left M and Connect San Francisco. Glenn, I have to ask you first of all, um, any thoughts on your experience and and. And I just want to say this up front that I really thought you handled the entire um, Gary Keller situation extremely well. You took such a high road. I, I got to be honest, I'm not I'm not uh, throwing shade on anybody or saying anything negative. But Gary, you know, had sort of an agenda and, uh, you know, he didn't. Uh, I just want to be honest. And so to talk, talk about that, how that went for you. And then and then let's move on to some other cool stuff. Yeah. Um... Well, you know, this whole industry is built on, you know, quite frankly, people who have come before us and sort of paved the way to to where we are in the industry. So, you know, it's, you know, whether you go back, you know, 100 years ago, you know, when, you know, the real estate brokerage was, you know, um, you know, somebody with that, that sort of knew some sellers and sort of worked with some buyers and brought in some agents to sort of help them out and sort of got kind of fast forward to the you know the early you know 1970s and century 21 and then then remax and then and then ultimately keller williams and now you've got sort of a bunch of different players every one of those players built their models on um people that had come before them and sort of it opened the eyes of, of various folks of the different ways of looking at the world and and quite frankly i i, I credit gary keller with opening my eyes, even when I was with Keller Williams, at the potential of what it means to truly be partnered in a real estate brokerage and, and, and as opposed to just an agent. I started at Prudential, great company, a great mentor there um, that helped me my first couple of years in the business, 2002 to 2004. Uh, I was a tech guy, generated a lot of leads and it wasn't until I read uh, you know, the Red Book, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book, that I saw somebody who actually thought about real estate in a different way, that it was actually a vehicle to to build a, a true business on. To some extent, I was kind of aggravated because it's like somebody's giving away all the secrets because I've been a business guy in the 90s, started a few companies, uh, was an a, a, um, interim president for a small public company back then. And and more a lot of technology stuff, but uh, but when I you know saw the the red book and and uh, and sort of and got a chance to you know spend a little time with Gary actually back in the day, uh, it was good to sort of see that perspective. I mean he 
he was a pioneer, just like Dave Leninger was a was, was a pioneer, and uh, you know, sort of a take no prisoners persona, um, and and real recognizing that uh, you know his way of, of of looking at the business empowers the agent prior uh, better than anything that had come before him, and um, and so my you know my hat continues to be off for Gary. Uh, I, I think about this. I had chatted with uh, somebody. Uh, back at the T3 summit, uh, who's you know close in uh, in, in that uh, org- organization, and and my comments then were, in order for this industry to provide the types of lifestyles and 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 benefits to agents, we need you know people like you know Gary, myself, and and others to be able to have sustainable business models and to continue to push the envelope. So. I don't really have anything. It was just, it was really an interesting conversation I, or, or what, what took place. I was sitting in the back because I came up on stage a little bit later, obviously. And um, quite frankly, my blood pressure went up a little bit because he was, you know, he was, he was talking some, some, some smack about uh, a company that I obviously had poured my blood, sweat and tears into, but that's okay. I kind of, I, I kind of get where he was coming from. Um, and, and I probably would have thought about it maybe the same way if I was in his position. So you know, and from from that perspective, you know, I I, but but he did he did make some really interesting comments that I was like kind of going, you know, did you really just say that? And so anyway, that was that was it was fun to fun to listen to, even though my blood pressure was going up, and 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 then obviously had a nice conversation about that afterwards as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it was Brad Inman doing what Brad does best, rocking the boat, getting something getting something going, and. uh yeah, I thought it was uh, like I said. I thought it was uh, it was really interesting to have that panel come up afterwards with a couple of you know really a, a couple of top producers for Keller Williams back in the day. So um, just kind of well laid out, and and um, I know I know that the entire audience there enjoyed it, and so did a whole bunch of people on on the live feed. So yeah, no, no, it was a lot of fun. Yep. The the genesis of this podcast was my natural curiosity about people. So I do I want to ask you this question. Um, you're from Alberta, Canada, right? Like a small town in Alberta, is that right? So small, I have not been back there since I was three years old. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was uh, born in uh, Peace River, Alberta, uh, um, and uh, spent my first uh, two, three years in a little town called Nampa, Alberta. Um, the closest I've got since is Edmonton, which is okay. up there a fair bit north, and you still have to drive three hours north of Edmonton to get to where I was from. So Wow. So I've I've been to Edmonton. Our our honeymoon was started in Vancouver and finished in Edmonton. We drove across the Rockies in the summertime. Okay, yeah. It's beautiful. It's it's a amazing country. But my question for you is this: How do you get from a small town in Alberta, growing up, you know, northern Alberta, way up way up north? You end up going to school in Oklahoma. You're a Sooner. How does that happen? Well, I I, I didn't drive myself. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, my uh, my parents obviously uh, uh, we moved actually from uh, from from northern Alberta to the lower mainland of British Columbia. Um, started effectively middle school in in, in British Columbia. Uh, my dad was uh, was a successful entrepreneur in his own right. Uh, had a company that he sold to Kellogg's back in I think 1978. In 1979, we moved to um, Oklahoma to get in the oil and gas business. Um, and uh, which, by the way, was not a great time to get in the oil and gas business. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, we went from from literally when we were in northern Alberta, we were in a single wide manufactured home, 
to uh, when I was 13 years old. We had we were the second, not that not that it means anything, but we were in the second largest home in the Lower Mainland of British Columbia. Almost you know at that point, 10,000 square feet was a big home. Nowadays, that's like a a starter big home in like places like uh, you know Scottsdale, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's a uh, but that was a big big place. We moved to Oklahoma, and um, and he proceeded to uh, unfortunately lose everything that he had made in the in the prior nine years in the oil and gas business. So it was I uh, went from 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 famine to feast um, back to somewhat of a famine backdrop, um, and during that period of time went to high school in Oklahoma. Um, and then, uh, and then ended up going to the, the university of Oklahoma, which quite frankly, I thought was one of the best experiences of my entire, uh, life at that point. Um, university was awesome. And, uh, OU, we were, uh, you know, football powerhouse, uh, in 1984 and it was a good time to be there. Yeah. And you've been a powerhouse a whole lot since then as well. So I'm sure you're still, you know, flying the red <laughs> in different places, wherever you're at. Right. A little bit, yeah. I do need to get a little bit more uh, sooner gear. Um, I, I I is a college dropout, so I uh, I didn't actually finish uh, you know, my degree anywhere. Um, I was computer science economics, uh, uh, which I really enjoyed, but I was also um, a consummate entrepreneur. So I'm a uh, I'm I'm a sooner in terms of enjoying it, uh, but uh, I, I I bounced around a little bit to to some other other places, but uh, OU was my uh, last place I. Uh, First place and last place I went to university. You know, you mentioned that there are story after story of entrepreneurs who didn't finish college, right? One of them being a guy named Mark Zuckerberg, um, because you want to get out and do what you're doing, right? I think you get to a point where you're like, I've got this this burning desire to start my career. And then that's kind of what happens, right? Yeah. Well, and especially when, you know, you're especially with the technology stuff. But I, um, you know, I was took the in, went to engineering days at the University of Oklahoma while I was in still in high school, and they had a uh, computer deal where you basically you know did a whole bunch of computer programming and tests. I was I sort of won I won first place in this engineering days competition because I was just a I was just a geek, and uh, and and so I got into university and my easy A's were literally you know the the, the computer courses and. Um, I remember one one project that we got, um, uh, which was uh, we had a whole semester to r- write uh, some uh, piece of software, and uh, I think I wrote it over the weekend, that first weekend, and had it done. And it was you know, so, so it was kind of like my big project for the whole semester was kind of completed. So you, you, there was only cer- a certain amount of stuff that I was learning there that actually benefited uh, me as a uh, as somebody who looked at both business and technology, um, and uh, and ironically, I even got turned down for joining the the business fraternity while I was there because my high school grade point was too low. I graduated with a 192, but I set you know basically hit the uh, top marks on both the SAT and ACT, um, which is what got me into to university. But uh, I uh, I didn't apply myself in classes that I thought were totally a waste of time. I just just fundamentally couldn't get myself to do that. This is painting a picture that makes a whole lot of sense. You know that, right? Um, well, in retrospect, yeah. it's a <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> Let me. So, what what was your first job out of school, or what was let's call it? You know, when you started your your career prior to real estate, what were you doing? I um, one first moved uh, up the Pacific Northwest, um, eighty 
85, 86 there. I don't remember exact time. Partially, and then and um, and then went back to school a few years later. I got uh, uh, got married, and and we moved back to to, to Oklahoma. But I was uh, always doing some sort of something. I was, uh, you know, I was everything from network marketing and Amway to selling Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door to managing a bowling alley to um, working in the men's warehouse. I was I bounced around a lot of different sorts of things. Um, and uh, in the early 90s, 90, 92, um, I, was, uh, I was on Prodigy in America Online. Uh, I'd been a stockbroker when I was 21 in 87, um, which I thought was a great job. I just ended up working for some bandits. So I got out of that business. Uh, but I always enjoyed investments. So I was uh, posting on America Online and Prodigy, little stock picks and, and different things that I liked. And AOL actually tapped me on the shoulder and actually asked me to work for them. Um, in 92, what ended up happening, I was going to school at the time, university, I was uh, spending about four hours a day in the, in the, um, library, um, just researching stocks and had a sort of a stock methodology and that I really liked. And, uh, so I started to post those online and people said, how come I knew so much at a pretty young age about stocks, told them about sort of my background. And people used to said, if you ever become a stockbroker again, uh, let us know. We'd love to to open an account with you. And uh, so I got my license again, and uh, I was opening up accounts left and right from online, America Online. And this is in stark contrast to 1987 when I was smiling and dialing airline pilots lists <laughs> and trying to open accounts. And uh, it would literally, at that point in time, in uh, 92, 93, I literally make it, made a religious decision never to make a cold call again. I sort of recognized the power of the network and, and the power of sort of building a um, building an online voice. And we were using terms like um, uh, uh, aggregating eyeballs and content is king. Be, this is pre-web. Wow. Um, and, and so, you know, that was probably one of my more uh, most formative uh, experiences relative to sort of uh, sort of future business uh, at that point in time. But it's, you know, I just, I sort of just followed my own path and that was, so. I'm going to ask you a question and I, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> but hearing that you um, have these technical skills, a self-proclaimed geek, right? This is you know, all mm -hmm. about technology. It's very rare to find somebody who has, that works at that high level in that world who even attempts to do sales. And if they do, it tends to be, awkward. Um, so you, you were able to work in both of those areas, right? To, and I'm sure that's helped you as we move into the 2000s here shortly, the ability for you to understand the tech so well, yet to understand the sales side so well, because a lot of times, am I, am I, I'm kind of rattling on here, but they don't mix very well for most people. Do you agree with that? They, they don't. And in fact, uh, um, I literally, when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, I think it was somewhere around 19. I was, at, I had uh, dropped out of university for the first time, partially because I couldn't afford to, to go to school. Um, my grade point didn't get me a scholarship and my, my dad had <laughs> blown, blown through all his money. So I, I moved back to the Pacific Northwest at that point for a short, for, for a couple of years. And I uh, was going, how can I make sure that I'm always employable? And, uh, and, and in my mind, a salesperson is always employable. 
now I technology is always sort of moving. So it was like, that was for me is a little bit more of a moving target of something I'm passionate about. Even, even today, I, you know, every once in a while I'll crack out and, and write some code and build a little software. But, but, um, I, I said, I need to become a good salesperson. So I, I tried selling, um, everything from, uh, from yellow page advertising, which I totally sucked at. Uh, I, I then went from there to attempting to sell Kirby vacuum cleaners, which I actually sucked at for like three months, but I wasn't giving, I didn't give up even though it was literally brutal. And then finally something clicked and I started, I became sort of the top you know, <laughs> big accolades here, the top salesperson, Kirby salesperson, vacuum cleaner salesperson in the uh, office I was affiliated with. But I also discovered during that period of time, what it truly took to be a good salesperson, which is um, you had to figure out why in your pers- in your own mind, this was the best product ever invented, period. And, and, and if you couldn't discover that, then you probably shouldn't be a, a selling whatever it is that you're selling. So I was always sort of, tr- that, that became sort of my mantra. Where's the sort of, what's the unique selling proposition that sets things apart? So that became sort of, sort of the mantra. I actually did sales for, for a few years, um, went even went back to to sort of the being the, a stockbroker, as I mentioned, and and really wasn't doing a whole bunch. I still was playing with technology, but then, but then I got back into technology, and it took me six months full on immersing myself in everything that was going on for me to sort of catch up with where things had moved in just a couple of years. I mean, two years, literally everything had moved so far that it took me you know six months of just diving in um playing with everything i could recognizing that i needed to catch up with that space um because of my sort of sabbatical becoming a salesperson so how does uh how does the world of real estate uh, enter the picture well it, it entered the picture um in the in the mid nineties uh early early nineties i had a online service in western canada called interactive cafe then the web showed up and then uh, domain names. Uh, we were, I bought a bunch of domain names back in the early days of register.com and, and, and those uh, sort of entities, domain registers. Um, I had bought some cool ones, iCafe, which I still own, iCafe.com. I, I bought another one, iChurch.com, because my dad was also a minister. So we, I bought that one and ended up selling that um, number of years ago to, to someone for 20 grand. It was like, Holy smokes! I didn't expect that, but I bought these for basically just for the registration fees back in the day, and and then um, I was looking at uh, I look at domain names, I get ideas, I keep on registering domain names, and then I was up here in the Pacific Northwest, and um, I noticed that uh, none of the city names were available uh, with .com. Somebody was smart enough to pick up all the .coms. Um, none of them had anything to do with the, the local community I was in, um, and. Uh, but all the .NETs were available. So so I lived in a little community called Birch Bay. So I bought birchbay.net, blaine.net, ferndale.net, linden.net, sumas.net, whatcomcounty.net. And the only one that eluded me was bellingham.net. And that was sort of my, that was like the monopoly um, for for it. But I'd bought, uh, I'd registered for bellingham.web, which never became a real domain, but I'd sort of registered my interest if I, that was ever available. And I actually went to a local real estate brokerage and uh, tried to market these domains to them. And uh, they ended up actually hiring me to do some of their tech work. 
and and um, talked me into getting my license. But I didn't want to be a real estate uh, agent per se. But I I sort of kicked. Uh, I went on one. I think I went on one listing appointment, and I don't think I even worked with one buyer. I was, but I was running all the the uh, Ethernet cables, and we were negotiating for uh, uh, fractional T1 for the space, and I was sort of running, uh, helping uh, the agents sort of think about different domain names and different things. So I was sort of helping them in that regard. I was helping them with some websites. And then um, I wasn't getting paid near enough what I, uh, for, for what I was doing. So I ended up uh, leaving and working on another project. And one of the other future projects that I ended up working on was an e-commerce logistics company, which I got funded for a couple million dollars right before the dot-com collapse. And um, after after that collapse, I was licking my wounds late 2001, early 2002. Um, the Net website uh, that I had, I actually gave to the local Chamber of Commerce and uh, was actually maintaining it for free on their behalf. Um, and they gave it back to me in early 2000, uh, 2002. And so I had all this traffic coming in because it was the Chamber of Commerce website but the, didn't have a chamber. So I built a local community portal. And, and so it's called birchbay.net. Uh, I started to sell banner ads off that website. One of the people that I sold, tried to sell a banner ad was a local real estate agent, top agent in the market. And uh, he was having computer issues. I fixed his computer issues. He asked me to get licensed. I said, what, you know, I'm not gonna get licensed. I already did that once before. And he sort of asked me what it would take. And I said, I don't know, guarantee me three grand a month. And so he said, fine. Uh, then I then uh, was like, okay, well, I'm just going to build this online, and I'm not going to be, you know, doing the the standard realtor stuff. I'm not going to wear my realtor pin at the grocery store. I'm not going to be, you know, <laughs> going after my friends and family. So he said, fine, fine, fine. And then still, um, I still didn't want to be in the business at that point. And he, um, uh, so I I drug my feet getting licensed, and he asked me why I wasn't licensed about a month later. And I said, well, I get paid sixty dollars an hour to do website development work. So I've been doing that. And he literally said, I'll pay you $60 an hour to study for your license, go get your license. So I got, I got paid to, to, to get my license and, and I had a two-year deal to work with him. And, and, and that's how I got into real estate. And I built, I, I, I built exclusively online. If it didn't work, I was getting it out of the business because I didn't really sort of see myself as a, as a traditional realtor at that point in time. This really is the early days of organic, you know, SEO lead generation, driving traffic and converting that traffic. Uh, this is where this is, you were one of the pioneers of that. I was. I mean, IDX was very. There were very few companies provided IDX. There was a little company here in the Pacific Northwest called OceanSoft that had one of the first IDXs for for real estate agents. So um, I uh, ended up uh, contracting with them and building out uh, you know a whole bunch of websites. Their their sites actually were reasonably well for for what i was using them for and so uh, and then with uh, some of the reciprocal link building that we had done specifically around um the the uh the community portals and the chamber websites i actually ended up hosting the chamber site for both the birch bay and for blaine again for free and they both gave our, gave the sites back at, at some point to me so i had all this inbound traffic uh, host uh, doing that and so i recognized the power of domain name specific searches and Google was, you know, obviously building out their algorithms and I had all this. So I was just trying to sort of figure out how to monetize the traffic. And, um, you know, so I um, kind of leveraged myself into to real estate, learned the SEO game and, and eventually leveraged that uh, to 
six different cities in the U.S. Uh, eventually, and uh, and just uh, you know worked on internet lead generation, then converting those leads to to close transactions. You you do go to Keller Williams, and you, as you mentioned, you had a team in Phoenix that I was you know uh, where, where I was at the time. You, what 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 did you do, and what what kind of business did you generate in two thousand four? Well, 2004 was the first year that I started a team. So prior to that, I was doing referral-based um, business in the Pacific Northwest. And one of the uh, the regional owners from the, for Keller Williams in the Pacific Northwest uh, was uh, uh, was from Awatuki, top agent down there. And he asked me if I could, you know, do what I did up here for myself for him. He said, you know, I've got 16 agents. Uh, I'll pay you 30% referral fees on any of the business. And I'm like, hey, that sounds pretty cool. So about 2004, let's see, I, I can sort of look at my, my first full year in business, which is 2003. I did a little over $7.3 million in production. Um, 2004, um, we started a team, and we probably did somewhere north of $20 million that year. Wow. Um, and... Uh, and then by my fourth full year, which was 2006, I, w- I did a little over 60 million in production. Was uh, in the top 50 nationally with uh, with Keller that year. So, and that was all 100% internet lead gen. And then and then we had a a, a way to sort of work with those clients to you know, predictably turn them into closed transactions. Things are moving along pretty well here. What's the uh, what's the impetus you know for starting your own brokerage? I, I read somewhere, and tell me if I'm right that you had this desire to build a company that, that was, and I think you said this, I want to build the company that I wish would have existed when I was an agent. Is that my close on that? It, it, that's a, yeah, that's an, that's a perfect, yeah, that's a totally accurate quote. Uh, the, as a real estate agent, um, you know, what I recognized is that you could build a, a personal practice, which obviously you can make great income at, uh, at a personal level. But, you know, obviously if something happens to you, you're out of business, you know, so you, you don't really have a business that you own. You have a business that owns you because as soon as you quit working, the business doesn't continue, generally speaking, as, a, as an individual practitioner. When I went to Keller, um, one of the big things was this whole idea of building a team. And I'd been looking at iSucceed University um, back in the day and, and learning about team building. And we were all set to build a team. And that's what we were looking for was a brokerage to build a team in. And we were looking at, you know, the Remax. And then eventually I hadn't really heard of Keller, uh, uh, but ended up, uh, somebody mentioned it. One of the guys I was working with in Seattle, he says, well, what do you think of Keller Williams? I said, I don't, I don't know anything about them, but I went and and sat with us with someone there. And all of a sudden the light bulb went off that, you know, here's a, here's a way that I can leverage my skills uh, to to you know based on building a team to build a passive income so that was sort of the so for me I was like I actually didn't think I was going to go anywhere once I got there so because the the passive income side I go I can I can generate leads till the cows come home so I can recruit agents literally anywhere in the country and if I just plug them into to to the the Keller system and and teach them our our lead follow up and conversion systems it, this thing will scale like crazy. So that was sort of the the, the, the mindset, and, and to some extent, um, that was generally true. What I what I learned though is that teams aren't fundamentally scalable beyond a certain point. There's a you know you, 
generally speaking, don't see teams get that big. I was doing expansion teams before there ever was a word for expansion teams because I was running teams in six different cities. And I recognized fairly quickly that the two cities that did the best were Phoenix, Arizona and Bellingham, Washington, partially because in the winter, I didn't like hanging out too much in Bellingham, Washington. So I spent a lot of time in, in, the, in Phoenix market. In the, in the summer, I liked spending my time in, in Bellingham. And I didn't, even Seattle, which wasn't that far from me, and we were generating tons of leads. We were number one on Google for Seattle real estate. In fact, I just noticed today we're still generating leads on some of those legacy websites in, wow. in Seattle from back in the day. Um, but I didn't fundamentally like driving the hour and a half to two hours to go down there, spend part of my day and then come back. So, um, and, and what I realized is unless I'm spending real quality time with folks, they're not going to succeed at a high level. So there's a little bit of accountability that needed to be built in. So, so all that to be said, there, there were a couple factors. One is that the team structure starts to create a little, created a little bit of a revolving door. So agents would, would leave us. There were some challenges there, and then, and and then the, the other part, which again, nothing. Um, I don't want this to sound negative for, for for Keller Williams, but but for me, my experience was a lot of my agents weren't with profitable Keller Williams offices. So I believe, uh, and I I don't know if this is absolutely accurate, but it was pretty close. But in 2006, I have had about 184 people in my personal profit share group. And uh, when I got my 1099 in, in early 2007, um, you know, sometime in January, end of January, I got it and I found out that uh, my profit share, I only made about six grand. And I'm going, wow, this is a lot of freaking work to try to build a passive income so I can eventually retire someday. And and so I got, I got kind of disillusioned with the fact that I paid the local office about 115,000. And this brand promise wasn't really working out for me. Um, the way that uh, the, the sort of the recruiting brochure kind of suggested, and so I literally remember walking walking back to um, the office. There were a couple of guys that were there, um, and I, I said to, to to Rob and Lauren, who were there in the office, I said, "If we ever build a company, we're going to do revenue share, not profit share," because I was just thinking, just from an agent's perspective, I wanted to be able to build something that had predictable income attached to it. And then the other piece that that eluded me was the equity component. So I didn't, uh, um, I didn't fundamentally uh, own. Well, I didn't own any equity in the local market center, other than if it was profitable and if agents that I had were doing transactions in that market center, and I wasn't being offered any any ownership interest of of, of note in the market center, even though I was uh, the the largest contributor to the profitability of the office because I had a team of about 15, 20 agents just in that one office. So I just said, hey, I can hire a broker cheaper than this. Uh, let's go take our team. Let's move them out. And so that's what we did. We started Buyer Tours Realty in 2007 and uh, scaled that to three cities. We still had agents that were still with Keller. We liked the Keller model. I was vested in the Keller Williams system. So we didn't want to sort of totally abandon it. So we sort of take, used it where, where we could use it while we were building out our Buyer Tours model. Um, but that's kind of the way we went. And somewhere along the way, you get the idea for the, I mean, really a true, pure cloud-based brokerage. And then this, um, you hear people talk about cloud-based in the cloud and all this stuff. Uh, but, but in 2009, talk about creating that. What was the response? And a, a follow-up to that, I'll ask in up front. 
Are you surprised there aren't more people doing it today? I, I, I am. Uh, I'll answer the, yeah, the, answer the second question first. I, I am surprised uh, on it, uh, uh, but I also recognize why most people can't create the momentum necessary to actually do what we did. So um, I'm surprised, but I also sort of understand um, as well. But, you know, in 2000, 2007, you know, go back to Buyer Tours Realty, we grew that to Bellingham, Washington, um, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, and Phoenix, Arizona. Um, we still had, you know, we're still doing, had a team in Las Vegas, Nevada that was uh, at Keller. We had a team in uh, Long Beach, California, a team in Nashville, Tennessee, um, all of those still still in underneath the Keller umbrella. But we we grew our uh, grew our real estate brokerage buyer tours in 2000, 2007. We did about 73 million in production. 2008, we were actually on track to do about 100 million in production. And we were getting ready to uh, convert a couple more teams over to Buyer Tours uh, Realty um, and move the teams out of the uh, out of out of the Keller offices, and the market turned. Even though we were our business had been growing um, through that whole time, even though broker owners I was hearing them complain about slower businesses and they're having a, having challenges, we were just powering through that because we were really strong on the internet lead gen side. So when the market turned, we had to close down our Phoenix office, our Portland Oregon office, our um, Seattle office. We had the Seattle agents affiliate with our Bellingham office. And we went to the smallest physical office we could find for Bellingham because we were just circling the wagons. And I sort of talked about the idea that we did, we're closing 7 million a month in, earlier in the year. And I think in October, we closed $700,000 worth of real estate uh, transactions. And we had about $50,000 a month that we were, we were expending to, to, to do things. So uh, we got into 2009, we went down to to, to actually Scottsdale in April, and we had a little team leader mastermind. Um, we were at the Scottsdale Resort there on Scottsdale Road in Indian Bend, I think. We talked about the whole uh, uh, concept of we need to figure out a way to build a real estate brokerage that's not dependent on bricks and mortar. We also recognized that we should be able to do it because technology had finally got to a point where you had high-speed internet everywhere. And we needed to figure out, you know, what would what would it take for agents to be willing to untether from their physical offices? And so we spent literally April, May, June, um, probably June, July. We started to really hone in on a lot of the business elements of of what the model need to look like, what what would what our cap need to be, what did the sort of the the financial structure need to look like, and and we were still struggling with one piece to be able to go fully cloud based, and that was the ability to truly create a place of that we could be collaborating and 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 working together in real time without having to sort of schedule or be transactional in nature. So I think about you know a phone call is transactional. You if you call somebody, there's a there's an element of am I interrupting somebody? Is what I have to say important enough to actually take somebody out of what they're doing? And so I would consider that to be friction in the communication um, uh, engine. Mm -hmm. And uh, even, you know, when you think about things like social media and Facebook, of course, have been getting some traction in 2009. I was a relatively early adopter. We saw you know, Facebook is playing a role of, of sort of providing an element of, of structure for collaboration and community. But we, we still weren't quite there. And, and uh, it was in July of 2009. Somebody asked me what I thought the future real estate office looked like, and I literally described a virtual world where agents and staff went to work every day. 
and and I I literally didn't know that was what I was going to say, uh, but that's what I described. And for me, that was the light bulb that sort of went off. It's like, why don't we try to find a virtual world and let's see if we can't do that because we wanted to build someplace where we could be working together real time at any time. People would be able to drop in just like they could do in a physical office. And uh, and that was that that was the point in time where we knew we had something um, that that might work. We didn't know it would work, but we thought that it had enough of the ingredients in place uh, that it might work. And and that was sort of the the the, the launch to to EXP as the world's first fully immersive Web 3.0 real estate brokerage. That's what we said in October 2009. And and that's uh, that became kind of our our little bit of our. A trade trademark uh, of sorts because we thought that was that was the way things were going to go, and and if that's the way it's going to go, then we want to be there first. We want to use that as a, a unique selling proposition for why agents might want to untether from their physical offices. This was the birth of the avatars, and and um, I've I've watched agents like spin around or walk into walls because they didn't know how to get to the meeting room. Right? <laughs> I'm sure exactly. <laughs> Lots of those stories early on, um, and that that continues today, correct? Even with the the massive growth you've had over the last year, you still have those same sorts of trainings and meetings and collaboration going on in that virtual space. We do. One of the reasons why I think you know other companies haven't been successful, you know, I, I mentioned that it's it's surprised me, but at the same time, I quite kind of understand. Is we we were willing to from day one go fully online virtual and and when i say that i mean we do not have any physical offices for really for our executive team all of our staff works home office all of our agents work remote and use you know the regis offices and starbucks and you know maybe some of them might even have their own personal private offices somewhere but but for the most part we are cloud-based from the very footprint i remember telling the, our tech team in uh September 2009, I said, okay, if we're going to ask our agents to do this, we've got to be willing to do this ourselves. And I literally said, you guys need to take your computers home. You're not coming back to the office. If we can make, we need to figure out how to make this work. And literally all of the same, all of them are still with me. All of them still work home office or, or wherever they're at. Uh, they all still work remote. And, and so we've been able to really create this sort of scalable infrastructure without having to spend any money on bricks and mortar. But that's also one of the reasons why most companies have failed uh, in their attempt to build a cloud-based model, because they still retain physical bricks and mortar where they sort of operate from. And there's a fundamental disconnect of trying to build collaboration and community in the cloud if you also work in a physical space to, quote unquote, manage the business. Let's talk about the uh, your model. Um, you talked about revenue sharing versus profit sharing and equity. And I'm assuming those are pretty big reasons why, especially I think in the last year, you've doubled in size. And and so talk about what changed or what, what how, how this momentum finally caught up recently in, 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 in the model and the way you do business that's led to this, you know, incredible growth. Yeah, we, we've, um, you know, last year in June, we were about, I think I looked at a press release, we were about 3,950 in June this year, we actually uh, went over, um, went around. We were around 12,000 agents at the end of the uh, end, end of June. We put a press release out re- regarding that. So that's actually 3x. So we've actually tripled our agent count over the last year. 
we've uh, we've basically doubled since the beginning of the year. So it's pretty pretty crazy the the, the growth side of it. Um, equity does play a role. Revenue share plays a role. Um, the, the overall value proposition plays a role. Uh, our ability to execute plays a role. Um, sometimes we're not, we don't execute as well as we 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 should partially, and and that's to a large extent just due to our immense success in growing the brokerage. Where you know we, you know that's there's a lot of uh, uh, growing pains that go along with that. But generally speaking, you know it's uh, I think there's a whole number of factors why we're going through this really viral growth curve as an organization. We're we've been in the business long enough, I and mean, we're almost nine years in. I think that plays a role, but you know the the first first part of the model was, and and I literally visited with one of our directors, a gentleman named Randall Miles, before we started EXP when when I still had Buyer Tours Realty. Uh, I visited with him and uh, wanted to figure out how do we get equity in the hands of agents, and the reason why that was a big deal to me was because if I would have been a shareholder, uh, a, a true shoulder to shoulder shareholder uh, in a in previous companies I was involved with, I probably would have stayed there if there was a way to build more equity in that that organization. It just fundamentally made sense to me. And I figured I'm not an outlier here. I think fundamentally everybody would like to be an equity shareholder in in the companies they're involved with. But it's pretty tough to be able to do that as a private entity. And so we we looked at some different things to, there. Um, the other part was the the uh, was obviously the the revenue sharing component. You know, we talked a little bit about profit share versus revenue share, but we wanted to build something that agents could build a business where they could earn the types of incomes that broker owners generally generate, without having to put at risk all, all the financial impl- implications of bricks and mortar, hiring managing brokers, staff, um, all that stuff. So. So we want to put those two pieces together because, quite frankly, going back to my the comment you made earlier, I literally would still be there as an agent had those truly existed in another brokerage today. I mean, it, there's there's zero doubt um, that that would have been the case because for me, that's I don't want to say infinitely scalable, but it, you know, each each person would have a you know an ability to grow a a true business that had you know long term value. Uh, for them as as individuals, so those are the things that we looked at, and 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 those are really the ingredients have come together. So in t- 2014, um, you know, we we introduced our agent ownership uh, initiatives, and and uh, you know, and so we wanted to sort of get obviously equity in the hand of our agents. Prior to that, we've been growing about 50% year over year. 2015, with the agent ownership piece, along with all the other pieces along with it, we started to get into this 100% year-over-year growth. So 2015, we grew about 100%. 2016, over 100%. 2017, well over 100%. 2018, we're, we were pretty much 100% growth year-to-date uh, already. And, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know our agents are now um, truly partnered with us as eventual long-term equity shareholders with uh, with everybody else in the company which is just huge so they're, they're you know it's uh, they're they're part of the growth and now they they own a piece of the company and 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 we you know that's something that nobody else has really been able to duplicate um, partially because you know there's an element of of needing to become a, a public company to have the, the the requisite number of shareholders and other things but uh, fortunately i had a little bit of experience you know in public markets in the uh, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, especially, really gave us a, a bit of an advantage to sort of understand what the uh, uh, what the landmines are 
Um, and unfortunately, uh, knock on wood, we didn't get blown up during the, that whole process. Real qu- a real quick question. EXP, what's it stand for? What's it mean? Uh, what we refer to as the prefix of real estate. Um, so, you know, if you're a client, you, you're looking for an expert. If you're, if you're a seller, you're looking for exposure. Um, if you're a, uh, a buyer, you're exploring. You know, the company is expanding, and uh, um, and so there's just a lot of really, really great EXP words. The the other part of it was that we wanted to find something back in 2009 that we could trademark nationally. Uh, and to say the least, it's hard to find a good name uh, that somebody else hasn't taken uh, at a uh, at a national level uh, in some market. So, you know, so that's, that was, uh, another big reason why EXP Realty, uh, worked for us. And then every once in a while I'll go and do a lunch and learn or something. And then I'll, uh, somebody will ask me what the EXP stands for. And I'll mention it. And somebody, some smart agent will say something like, well, it stands for expired. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. awesome. It, what's the next big thing for EXP Realty that you can tell us? Yeah, you know, um, we we think about the whole idea of just iterating around the agent value proposition. So, you know, we're just, you know, it's, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that people sort of don't realize, even as as agents or even even broker owners, is that, you know, is that if you treat the business as dynamic, uh, there's always there's always places to improve and things that'll give you a lift in your organization and and in your overall value proposition. So. You know, we just think about, you know, how do we just continue to improve the experience? What are what are agents looking for? What do we need to add to the mix? How do we approach it? And how do we sort of iteratively go about uh, delivering more and more value each and every day? So it's not really a, I, I wouldn't say a big lift. I mean, we talk about from, you know, as a public company, everybody says, what what's next for eXp? And we talk about the whole idea that, you know, eventually we'll add things like mortgage and title and escrow um, to the mix. And that's just a natural um, outcome of running a real estate brokerage. If you don't sort of add those things to it when you get to scale, you're sort of sort of like a, you know a, a, sort of like an idiot. And and fortunately, but for an agent, agents might not care that much about those sorts of product offerings. But we think about you know what other things that can we you know help put into uh, an agent's toolbox um, that will you know give them an opportunity to to generate more listings, uh, potentially work with more buyers. How do we think about uh, collaboration and community? Um, what can we do to sort of extend that on, on agents' behalf? So there's really not anything in particular. I think uh, if we were to look back, almost you know, take that 10-year view back 10 years from now, I think there's a whole bunch of stuff that we, we will have done that will just make will be to some extent game changers. But it's in real time. It's just you know we just show up every day and just work on making this better and better for agents. One of the things I talked about a little bit last week at Inman is we um, we recently actually put the entire company into the new uh, platform that Facebook rolled out called Workplace. Phenomenal platform. Um, got, actually got a chance to meet some of the folks behind, uh, behind the uh, Workplace curtain here um, earlier this week, which was awesome. I think there's just a lot of really interesting tools and technologies that um, that are being rolled out by by some really really big organizations, um, whether it be you know Facebook or Amazon or Google or or other other companies that uh, that provide some really cool uh, products and services, and then sort of just you know I think there's just going to be so many unique 
fun ways to, to extend technology over the next uh, 6, 12, 18, 24 months. And we're, you know, in contrast, not to go back to the to the conversation that uh, was previous to, to me being on stage at Inman, you know, it's uh, it's unfortunate that some people think that they need to, to put it inside their own walled garden, um, some of this technology, and that they have to own everything. Generally speaking, there's just so much good stuff that's uh, that's that's being rolled out by some really cool players and uh, sort of the relationships that can be leveraged through that to extend an agent's business. Um, my opinion is just going to be a lot of fun sort of working on that. Glenn, I've had you well past the time I asked you for. I can't thank you enough, but I, but I have to ask you one final question. I've asked every guest on the podcast. And and um, so if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent, what would it be? Um, well, I think that the, that's something that I've said from day one and really powered my own personal practice is become really freaking good at lead generation. And and uh, whatever whatever that method is, obviously I have uh, I think online is just is the place to do it. Um, I think it's still pretty easy relative to some of the other methods of uh, you know I, I consider cold calling to be just a recipe for brain damage. Uh, I'm not a big you know calling physicals expireds. Not that that's a bad way to generate the business, but everybody can do that, and it's a pretty crowded field. If you can build um, relationships in an online way, build strategic relationships with with folks um, that that generate you inbound conversations on a on a regular basis, uh, you'll figure out how to ultimately monetize those inbound leads and and turn it into a scalable business. Um, obviously, you know if you're not good at sales, take some sales courses. You know wh- whatever those are, but work on trying to create inbound leads for yourself because when somebody calls you you're in control when you call somebody else they're in control so always try to figure out how to work from a position of strength glenn if there's somebody listening who wants to reach out to you is there an easy way for them to do that connect with me probably you know um facebook linkedin those are probably two good ways that you can connect with with me uh linkedin Send me an in-mail if I'm not, uh, you know, if I don't immediately answer your uh, response. But uh, to, to say the least, I get uh, get a lot of, uh, well, I don't even use the phone. I was just showing the folks at Workplace the other day that uh, if you call me on the phone, you won't, I, I, won't, I won't answer. So you're going to have to leave a voicemail anyway. But uh, using some, some of the other social media channels probably, uh, probably makes the most sense. Perfect. Glenn, I can't thank you enough. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's been really fun to, to watch this this company just do some amazing things. And, and this last year has just been a heck of a ride. And I really appreciate your time today and, and sharing your story uh, with uh, the podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me on.